Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles, arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise by your power. We will go by your spirit. We are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Good morning. Good morning on twelve twelve twenty two. Yeah, the date looks kind of cool today. Um, just in terms of, you know, it's early in the day and some things catch my attention and there you go. I'm Carmen LaBerge. Welcome to Mornings with Carmen here on the Faith Radio Network. Thank you so much for spending this time together with me today. Today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day comes from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Now, if you've been a Christian for some time, this is a verse of scripture that um, you hear this time of year, you hear it every year. And maybe it has lost its fascination. But I want um, you to consider today or reconsider today the magnitude of the proclamation made in this one verse of Scripture. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This birth announcement, this proclamation that a child is born, a son is given, this birth announcement is issued by God 700 years before the angel Gabriel makes the announcement to Mary that the Holy Spirit would co- will come upon her and she will conceive and bear a son and his name is to be called Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. The angel told her, don't be afraid, Mary, you found favor with God. You will become pregnant and give birth to a son and name him Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the son of the most high. The Lord will give him the throne of his ancestor, David. Your son will be king of Jacob's people forever and his kingdom will never end. That's the confirmation by the angel Gabriel that Jesus is indeed the fulfillment of the promise made through the prophet Isaiah 700 years beforehand. This is amazing grace. This is amazing grace that God would reveal his plan and then by grace reveal the fulfillment of the promise in the person of Jesus. Don't take scripture for granted today. Like God has given us this revelation of himself and the revelation of history and the revelation of who we are and the revelation of our future. Like don't take scripture for granted today. This is amazing grace. Let's not gloss over today the extraordinary proclamation that's found in this verse of Scripture. This is a history-altering, mind-blowing proclamation. The announcement of the birth of the Son of God, descendant of David, through his mother Mary, given the name Jesus by the one who will be called by many other names. People call Jesus names all the time, don't they? What do you call Jesus? He is wonderful. He is counselor. He is mighty. He is God. He is everlasting. He is Father. He is Prince of Peace. He is the Lion of Judah and the Lamb of God. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last and the living one. He is the Ancient of Days and He is Emmanuel, 
God with us. He is the King of kings and he is the Lord of lords. He is the good shepherd and the light of the world and the way and the truth and the life. Friends, the list is so long. What do you call Jesus? He's teacher. He's great physician. He's friend of sinners. He's the great I am. Do you know him? He came to save you from the power of sin, from the penalty of sin and death and from the power of sin and life. He is Savior. He is Lord. He comes wrapped in human flesh and lying in a manger as the fulfillment of God's promise to save. What name do you call Jesus? And have you plumbed the depths of who he is? I'm going to invite you this Advent into the great adventure of exploring the one who came, the one who is with you right now by the power of the Holy Spirit, the one who is coming again to judge the living and the dead. Advent is not over. The adventure, the adventure of Advent has only just begun. We're going to talk about our discipleship journey together with Dave Buring when he joins us next. We're going to look back at the year that's now ending and look ahead uh, at the year to come. How do you evaluate your growth? How do you evaluate your progress as a disciple of Jesus Christ over the course of time? Let's look in the mirror and take a little fruit inspection next with Dave Buring. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. Dave Uring is back. You can find him at lionshare.org. Good morning, friend. Hey, good morning. How are you this morning? I I am well. I am well. It is well with my soul. I was just thinking as we heard that one member of the U.S. military deployed overseas, um, you know, talking about that. I, we've got something like somewhere between 160 and 180,000 active duty military personnel stationed outside the United States right now. And I'm not sure I had really thought about those numbers and the number of families that means and kids who, you know, won't be with a parent this Christmas. And anyway, I don't know, that just, uh, that turned my heart there, just um, hearing, hearing the voice of that sweet um, brother in Christ and uh, American soldier overseas. So I don't know, that's what was on my mind as you asked the question. Yeah, that's a big deal. And uh, oftentimes we don't think about that with um, like you said, with families, I always think about kids during that time mm-hmm. here. So I'm always, I always find my eyes moist when I watch the surprise, you know, daddy's home for Christmas, mm-hmm. you know, that those are pretty tender. They get both Cheryl and I pretty good. Yeah, no, me too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, let's talk about, you know, we're drawing close to the end of a year. It's always a good yeah. time to evaluate the year that's now passed. I think it's also a good time to set our sights on the year that lies ahead. I mean, you know, if God chooses to give us another year, what do you have like a method of evaluating your growth or maturation and discipleship over the course of a year? Yeah, I, I actually do. I like to be able to measure areas of my life at the beginning of the year. So I, I'm a bit of a journaler. Shell and I do something at least once a year, sometimes twice a year that we call prayer retreats, where we just mm-hmm. get away 
for it's usually like 48 hours so we'll have to go stay somewhere Cheryl likes it because we go out to eat instead of her having to make meals and some of that we may fast and pray but it's a time to listen to the Lord and so Cheryl and I will ask the Lord about areas of our lives our marriage our spiritual growth the uh, things we do in life to say okay God we want to walk in obedience to you and sometimes in the midst of that we will share with each other here's an area that I want to grow in here's an area that I want to develop like for example um, one of the things this year that I just have begun that I'm trying to do is memorize the Sermon on the Mount Matthew mm. 5 6 and 7 and it's just been a desire of my heart over the years to do I'm just barely getting into it here as, as we are at this point in the year but for next year I'm hoping that by the time I say Merry Christmas to you next year I could have that down and it's just it's an area of getting the word in me it's the core teaching of Jesus and his kingdom so I will often measure not just Bible knowledge stuff but my obedience okay did I was I obedient did I step out in faith in that area that maybe looked pretty big to me at the time but I know the Lord was pushing me so there are marking points that I look at. I um I, I love that. I appreciate that. Um, I think that considering prayerfully, quietly, apart from the regular rhythm of life, um, you know, allowing God to examine me and then reveal to me what He discovers. Um, you know, when we think about God being the great physician, we often only think about healing. We don't think about diagnosing the things that need um, need work. I mean, I don't know about you, but I mean, I go in for my annual physical and I mean, most of the time it's the same three things. She's asking about the the quality of my sleep. She's asking about my, you know, (laughs) eating and exercising, whether or not I'm exercising. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, you know, and she asks about what I'm eating. Like, are you getting enough water? Are you eating the right things? Are you not eating the wrong things? Are you, you know, are you moving your body consistently? I mean, like, right. I mean, it's the same. That's the great physician most for most of us, most of the time. And yet that is the counsel we most often ignore. And so um, maybe it's what I hear you saying is maybe at this stage of spiritual life and development, it's not, wow, I have these like mountainous size sins that I need uh, that I need to be working on, um, that I need to be bringing under um, God's authority and allowing him to uh, to change. But maybe it is things where I need to be adapting my life um, more fully to the things that I know should be a part of the life of a mature disciple. Memorizing large portions of scripture might be a part of that. Stepping out in faith um, into something that I know God is calling me to, but I have not been obedient in um, looking at obedience as the uh, as the measure. I, I, that's really yeah. helpful, Dave. Well, you know, it's it's an interesting thing for me. And here's one of the ways Carmen all often this time of year and into like January express this. We spend so much time game planning, maybe in our job, physical exercises. We were okay, here's my new exercise plan for the year. And even vacations, you know, where mm-hmm. we spend hours and hours researching and getting this and trying to but the question I like to ask is, do you spend that same amount of time saying, God, where do you want me to grow spiritually this year? And I and I would tell you that 99 out of 100 times, the answer I get is no, I never even thought about it like that. Mm-hmm. And so I think we're reaping the lack of discipling these days a lot, because oftentimes us as disciples don't even know how to think that way. 
But the good news is we can, and 2023 can be an awesome year of growth. All right. I'm going to ask you to lead us into that um, next. Dave's going to help us know how to hear God's answer when we ask, where do you want me to grow spiritually this next year? We're going to talk about listening to God and then having the courage to do what God commands. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. It came upon the midnight clear, that glorious song of old. Continuing our conversation with Dave Buring from Lion Share, you can find lots of wonderful resources on discipleship and uh, the discipleship journey at lionshare.org. Dave, let's talk about how you, I'm going to use the language of the world, how you set goals or how you make plans mm-hmm. for growing in um, in discipleship in in the year to come. Yeah, so I think a great way to to begin this is twofold. First is well, let me give you three. We'll go with three. Um, is what areas of your life do you already know that you need to grow in? In other words, things you bumped into this year that you went ah, this area I'm I continue to be stuck in, or I I view this through a kind of a non-wisdom lens, and I need to grow in this. Um, also, you can ask about yourself, is there areas of inner hunger? Like for me, the Sermon on the Mount thing has just been an inner hunger, a desire to grow in that area. And so I thought about it, prayed about it, thought, where's my heart leading me in this? And that's kind of where I landed. So I think there's self-observation of where you need to grow. A second one is just pray about it. it it's like you said before the break, you know, is there anything the Lord wants to reveal to you and show you this is an area where I'm asking you to grow in? And then obviously it's becoming intentional in our obedience there. I also think talking about it with those that know you best can really help. Like, like, hey, go to your spouse. Now, if you want to get a little dangerous, you go to your spouse and you say, sweetheart, where do you see I could really grow this year? Mm. And ask them about it. Sometimes with our young adult children that you get a really interesting answer there as well. But certainly godly friends in your life, pastors, spiritual leaders, you know, ask them, where do you think I am in my journey with Jesus where I could use some spiritual weight room stuff that a year from now I'd be much more muscled up in this area? Um, Going to your young adult children, um, wow, I mean, like, right? Like, I'm just thinking, I'm just pausing right there for just a moment. Yeah. Yep. Right. Um, they're they gonna punches. No, no, and they're gonna hold up a mirror that. Um, just talk about just talk about the right posture of asking because mm-hmm. um, I think you're giving us very wise and very good counsel, but I'm also uh, I want us to be prepared to respond non defensively <laughs> yes. and not take offense. Yep. Um, yep. 
I like your language always of operating out of the opposite spirit. How how do I operate out of the correct spirit when I go and ask my husband or my friends, my godly friends or my young adult children, where do you see that I could really grow spiritually this next year? Like those are those are really good, but like I'm going to have to I I probably know what they're going to say because I also know my um know my faults and flaws, but hearing someone else recognize them like as a fruit inspector that is submission in a in a new way for a lot of people well i think the win on it like i i will do this with cheryl and yeah you're right it's some of those things i just have to keep my mouth shut and listen and because you're right the defensive mechanism can rise up in any one of us and and that includes me and and so when i like part of the win for me in doing it is it's exercising humility, you know, where it's like, I'm willing to go and go to somebody else, let them speak into my life and say, what do you see there? And Mm. so I think the key posture is humility. And then you're right. It's like, it's just no matter what happens, try to just be quiet and keep that receptivity open and look them in the eye when you're done and just say, thank you. Thank you for sharing that with me. And just know I I need to be thinking and praying about that. And that's all you need to do. You don't need to get defensive. You don't need to give them a full game plan at the moment. But just it's input, right? It's input, objective input from people who love you that you then need to weigh before the Lord and decide what to do with. Yeah, that's that's really helpful. Um, If somebody had the opportunity to influence you in discipleship, like I'm I'm thinking about a number of young women uh, who I know have said, I mean, I, you know, where are those older women that the Bible says are going <laughs> to supposed to be around to like, totally. like, wh- where are they? What's going on out there? Um, this, it seems like there are a lot of mature disciples who are ready um, and certainly willing to be, I'm going to use the word mentor or shepherd or disciple mm-hmm. younger believers. And there are certainly younger believers who want that. Like where, where's the merge lane? Like I, where's the, it, how, how do we merge these people into meaningful discipling relationships? Where do you see that happening? Yeah. And that's a, it's, that's a great question. And that's a hard, it's a hard answer for me to give because I can't we need an app Carmen. for that, Dave. We need an app. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like and a I, dating I, app that's like a <laughs> discipleship matching app. You know, I've actually thought about that, and I tossed that to uh, some of those um, kind of technology wizard friends of mine and say, "Can you come up with how I could, you, you know?" But it's the reality is this. So I just want to speak to the reality of the moment is because many, and I'll just pick this age, forties to seventies have never been discipled they don't think that way Mm. and so therefore you have a lot of young ones asking for discipleship but Mm. because that age group above them most of them like i mean it's a sad statistic but it's around 75 to 80 percent of that age group have never been discipled so when someone say 28 goes to them say hey would you disciple me in this or mentor me in this they they feel insecure they don't know how and so they just will say no I, I've heard some say, you know what, that's not my spiritual calling. I have gifts in this area. And, and they're missing the point. It's like I like to tease Jesus called the great commission, meaning commissioning with him, not the great suggestion. It's not just an idea. Hey, here's a good idea. It's what Jesus did. It's what he's asked us to do. 
And I find that more often than not, there's either a lack of vision because they never ha had it, or it's a lack of equipping. And, you know, what we do with Lion's Share, that's something we do is say, hey, you know what, if you're this age and you have a heart for it and a heart to invest in younger ones, but you don't know how, come walk with us. We'll, we'll show you how to do that. So I think there's, there's opportunities out there, but there's a lack of vision because they didn't have it. And there's a lack of equipping because they didn't know they needed to do it. All right. If you want to be equipped in this way, um, lionshare.org is a really, really great place to start. Dave, as always, thank you so much for joining us and Merry Christmas to you and Cheryl. Merry Christmas to you and your family. Thank you so much. That's Dave Buring. You can find him at lionshare.org. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge. Let's take a moment to go upwards with Max Lucado. Yes, I know there's some of you thinking Carmen keeps saying the same thing um, to different people. I feel like if I keep saying it to enough different people, somebody will do it. We need an app. It needs to be like Christian Mingle, but not for dating. It needs to be a, a way for people who are mature disciples to be matched with um, people who are maturing in discipleship and want to be discipled, mentored, shepherd, shepherded. I feel like, you know, you could do it from a distance now because uh, there's so much great technology and you could do it via Zoom and all kinds of great things. And I feel like it would um, have the potential to maximize um, the, the time and the talent and the maturity of disciples who are of an age. I mean, you know, maybe you're in your 80s and you're like, I'd love to be I'd love to be shepherding a bunch of 20 year olds, but I don't even know where I would meet them. And then like, how awkward is that? Just like to like show up at the is there even a young adult class at a church like and maybe the person that you're supposed to be mentoring and shepherding isn't like in your specific geography. Maybe they're kind of distant. I, I, anyway, I think it could happen. I think we live in a day and a time when this could happen. So I'm just going to keep saying it out loud until somebody makes it, because <clears throat> I would like to be able to use it. Okay, so, um, wow, all kinds of things going on in the country and around the world in terms of religious liberty. There is uh, one um, one court ruling to lift up uh, here today. The Biden administration um, is probably going to appeal a decision reached by um, a three-judge panel of the 8th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals, um, they agreed with a North Carolina, a North Carolina, North Dakota federal judge who said that the U.S. Health and Human Services rule infringed on the religious freedoms of doctors, um, including a group of nuns who run a health care clinic for the poor in association with Catholic health care professionals. What is this ruling? Well, it says that they cannot be forced to perform or offer gender transition surgeries or therapies. So, the United States of America cannot force Christian healthcare providers to provide services that are contrary to their religious convictions. That's a really good ruling. I'm hoping the Biden administration will just let it stand, but in all likelihood, they will appeal the decision. Adam Carrington's going to join us next. We're going to talk across a range of headlines um, that are 
at that nexus of what's going on politically in the life of um, these United States and you and I as Christian believers. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Dr. Adam Carrington is joining us now. He tweets at Carrington AM. He also teaches at Hillsdale College. Good morning, Adam. Good morning, Carmen. Hope you're all doing well. Oh, yeah. What's going on in the world of academics this week for people who are no longer living in an academic environment? Have all of the young people gone home yet? Yes, they uh, basically all had to leave their dorms on Saturday. In fact, I was grading Friday afternoon. It had already gotten to be a bit of a ghost town it's 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 a weird thing uh, there's a lot of hurry up and stop in the academy and there was just a buzz and flutter of activity last week because it was our finals week i think we're ahead of a lot of other schools and now all of a sudden it's going to be just just very quiet just a few faculty like myself in their grading and um you know what's funny is we we, we uh, we're all in each other's space and there was a lot of kids sick and all that but in the next couple of weeks, we're going to start to miss them and uh, be looking forward to them coming back. I won't say quite yet where I think we're all looking forward to a little break. But that's uh, that that that's the, the that's the world we're in right uh, that I'm in right now. And uh, uh, looking forward to having our, my own finals graded once they're done, then my start my task starts. Appreciate um, the ministry that's provided by um, by you and people like you across the country who receive into your lives every semester um, other people's kids, our kids. And so, thank you for shepherding their hearts. Thank you for um, the vital ministry that you do, listening to them, speaking into their lives, um, helping them become the people that they're going to be uh, out there in the world. Um, yeah. So I. Thank you. Thank you. And well, you and well, a well-deserved Christmas break uh, to everybody in academia. Well, thank you. And I will say it's, it's you know, this is the time of year people are often reflecting. I, I do love what I get to do. And, and you're right. I love that I'm at an institution and there are, uh, I wish there were even more of them out there that really said that we're about um, educating and caring for the whole person, not just their mind, not just their possible future career, uh, but their heart and their soul. And uh, it's really God that's doing the work um, through me and through others. But it it is a real joy to work with these students and try to make some impact in their lives for their good and for the good of the greater community and the church. So, um, yeah, we'll take a break from it and then uh, hopefully get started back up after the new year. Okay, speaking um, speaking of the new year, once we get into 2023, people are definitely going to be talking about 2024 and Um, the next cycle of elections here in the United States of America. The Democratic National Committee wants to change the primary schedule. Maybe they've already done that. Um, First of all, like, uh, is the primary schedule just up to them? Um, And does each side sort of get to decide how that's going to work? And what's the change and what do you think it means? There's a lot of questions, but I I think you you can mush it all together. Yeah, and there is obviously ultimately states set their elections and their election laws unless Congress steps in and and adds on to them. And that's actually in the Constitution itself, Article 1. But um, 
generally the parties do get to in conjunction with that with with the states set when their primaries are going to be because ultimately their primary the primary is not for who is going to be elected to the office that that's set by the constitution and and and, and the state legislatures have control over uh uh, the rules completely how to do that this is who's going to be the nominees for the major parties so yes they're they're, they're it, they don't have complete power over it but they have a lot of power and what uh and if, if you remember there was a, a massive uh sort of fail on the part of the democratic party of iowa in the 2020 primary and then you had uh bernie sanders win new hampshire but then go on to do poorly the rest of the way. And then Joe Biden was nominated and elected and so forth. And I think what the Democratic Party has realized is that their early primaries in Iowa and New Hampshire, which has been the tradition since at least the 70s, 1970s, <clears throat> doesn't give them an accurate picture of what their whole party wants. Those areas are predominantly much more liberal in their Democrat voting bloc, uh, much more uh, white. Uh, and 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 so the uh, much more secular in the case of New Hampshire. So they've reordered where South Carolina is now going to be the first primary state on February 3rd, followed by Nevada and New Hampshire on February 6th. And then they're going to have Georgia and Michigan in the weeks after that. And the the idea is to get a earlier and more accurate snapshot of what the Democratic voters want. And I would say this is probably going to be good for the Democratic Party. They've tended to privilege candidates much more on their fringe because of the way this has been set up before. And I think uh, bringing African-American, Hispanic and Latino voters in in larger numbers as these other states like South Carolina and Nevada especially will do is going to, and bringing in more working class voters like Michigan uh, uh, is going to moderate and make uh, candidates that probably are a little more winnable and a little more representative of the of the party at large. And so we'll, we'll, we'll see, obviously, how it works out. But it does seem like uh, a, a move that obviously they're allowed to do, but that probably is for their betterment as far as the kind of things they're trying to accomplish as far as winning elections. Um, we're talking with Dr. Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College. We're talking at the nexus of political headlines and uh, our Christian faith. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the release of Brittany Griner. We touched on this um, here on the program on Friday, but we didn't have a lot of details. There's been a lot of discussion of this over the weekend from a national security perspective. Um, the guy that we uh, traded her for, um, is a genuinely bad guy, this Victor Boot. Um, Brittany Griner is an American citizen. There are other American citizens still, um, you know, being pawns of hostage diplomacy uh, held in Russia. Just talk with us about this uh, from your perspective and from a national uh, national security angle. Right. And and I should say, probably as a small disclaimer, I did uh, interact a little bit with Brittany Griner. We were at Baylor University together when I was in graduate school and she was a basketball player. I tutored some of the women on the basketball team that year. Is uh, she the year as they tall won- as she looks? 
Absolutely. Uh, I, I, I have never met any other woman that tall. Uh, my, my wife actually had a shirt that said dunk like a girl that was going around, uh, nice. when she was there. I, I actually wanted, I'm sorry, this is not what you asked, but I, I wanted it. They won the national title that year. And I jokingly said, I wanted a ring for having worked with uh, the women on the team, which, which didn't <laughs> nice. happen. Uh, but very seriously, I mean, we're obviously all very, should be very glad that she is back. Uh, the charges that were brought to her while she was carrying an illegal substance, the, the way it was done was obviously overblown, obviously being done for political reasons by Russia. And uh, she was really very much a pawn in that. And so I think that there is a responsibility for the American government to try do all it can to protect its citizens, including overseas. Now, when I say that goal, that goal can get complicated because in protecting one American citizen, you have to ask how that protection is going to affect other American citizens that you are also responsible for. And the worry about this is that um, the, 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 the potential harm of the person released, as you said, an arms dealer, is way out of proportion to any benefit to the American uh, people or the American national security that bringing Griner back comes with. And what that makes one ask is, is this going to incentivize abducting Americans overseas to get exorbitant releases or prices in the future? Are we releasing people that are then going to turn around and do massive harm to the United States, kill Americans in terrorist attacks or supply weapons for them to do so? And I think that's where, you know, when people are critiquing this release, uh, it shouldn't be. And most of the people I've seen have, are not saying it's that they have something against Griner for political reasons or ethic or anything else. It's that... Um, in, in a fallen world where people are using your goodwill, and I think this ultimately was based on, uh, uh, in large part, goodwill, trying to bring her back, um, you can be manipulated, taken advantage of in ways that then hurts other people. And I think that's where this seems like a dangerous precedent, not that we tried to get her released, but what we were willing to do in order to achieve that. And the fact that we didn't get anyone else out as well. I know there's others out that are in similar situations, but maybe aren't as famous or well known. So that that's the considerations. It's 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 sad and part of our fallen world that we even have to think about things in that term in those terms. But we 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 unfortunately have to, given uh, who we're dealing with and and what the situation is internationally. All right, I'm going to read one headline, um, Adam, as you and I go to a break here. And this is about another international bad guy who is now in U.S. custody facing charges for um, the bombing of a Pan Am Flight 103 over Lockerbie, Scotland in 1988. So there's a Libyan intelligence officer accused of making the bomb that brought down Pan Am Flight 103 over Lockerbie, Scotland Um in 1988, 34 years ago, uh, in an international act of terrorism that if you were alive at the time, you certainly remember the arrest of Abu Aguila Mohammed Masood Kir al-Marami uh, is a milestone in the decades old investigation, says the, uh, the U.S. Justice Department. The attack killed 259 people on the airplane and 11 people on the ground. Um, this is a Libyan intelligence uh, officer 
and the third one um, charged in the U.S. in connection with the attack. He will be, if he actually does appear in an American courtroom, he would be the first to appear um, uh, for prosecution. The uh, New York-bound Pan Am flight exploded over Lockerbie, Scotland, less than an hour after takeoff from London on December the 21st, 1988. Um, Justice uh, never goes to sleep. And so let us be mindful of that. Let's also be lifting up all of the families who um, were so traumatically affected at the time and who are at some level reliving that trauma through this um, through this event even now. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge. This is Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show featured on the Faith Radio Network. There is a lot going on at Faith Radio, tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share at MyFaithRadio.com. My guess is you spend a fair amount of time on social media. So where do you spend your time? Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube? Well, have you followed or liked Faith Radio on those platforms? I would invite you to do so. I'm there as well. If you want to check out uh, my personal pages, you could connect with me individually. We would love to have you uh, use the resources that we have produced and are creating and posting on social media for you to share with others. We got all kinds of stuff from graphics to, you know, Bible verses. I don't know. There's all kinds of stuff. Go check it out on your social media. Connect with us on Faith Radio social media. And, you know, let's get the word out to others. All right. Back to the show. Again, thanks for listening. Love connecting with you at MyFaithRadio.com. Continuing our conversation with Dr. Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College. Um, Adam, let's talk about Kristen Cinema. She has uh, left the Democratic Party. She is so, okay, what does that mean? And what do you say to people who would say, hey, hey, we elected a Democrat because she's a Democrat and now she's messing with us. Um, and, and how does it affect like the next cycle of elections? Yes, uh, it's certainly that the Democrats had about a couple of days to celebrate being a 51 clear vote majority before technically losing it. And I think that uh, to answer a couple of your questions One, I think that this was certainly a surprise, but you can see if anyone was going to do it besides maybe Joe Manchin in West Virginia, that it would have been um, it would have been her because she has consistently had a bit of an independent streak while she certainly leans uh, very far left on social issues. She's also been more friendly to um uh, capitalism and and economic interests that are more conservative leaning. She has not been willing to bend on changing the rules of the Senate to get rid of the filibuster and and other things, and has gotten savaged by the Democratic base in a way that I think some of this probably is a bit personal in the way she's been. I, if people remember her being like followed into the bathroom one mm-hmm. time uh, mm-hmm. and and being and, and, and the idea being that this, you know, you treat people like this and this are these are the kind of things that happen. But I don't think it's merely personal. It's also policy. Um, I think what this will probably end up meaning is not as much of a change as some people think as far as the way the Senate will run. My guess is that she will still work with Democrats on things she was going to work with anyway and refuse to on other things as well. 
but it really um, should cause some, I think, soul searching in the Democratic Party that um, someone that's been very successful electorally in a state that until recently was not very amenable to Democrats uh, in Arizona thinks that she doesn't have a home there and that the tent isn't big enough for her, despite the fact that she has a lot of left-leaning positions. And so I think that's the case. I think as far as um, her party affiliation and the voters, yeah, I think that is a legitimate thing. You know, the governor of West Virginia switched from Democrat to Republican in the middle of his term a few years ago. And we've had other things like that. And I, I think it is actually better and more faithful to the people because they're not just voting for an individual. They are voting for a broader party vision often that um, make the party switch uh, when you're running next time. Like wait till you're actually running and then run and say, if I'm elected, I will then register as a Democrat afterward or register as an independent afterwards. I think that would be have been more respectful to the voters and makes me wonder how much longer she might want to actually even be in politics given this kind of switch so yeah a lot going on we're gonna have to see how this plays out i don't think it's going to be completely earth shattering in the day-to-day operations of the senate but it should be earth shaking as far as the idea that if she can't be part of the democratic party then the democratic party is going to continue to have serious electoral issues in places where they should be doing better than they have for um for people who have like hope of the emergence of, I mean, maybe third party is too strong, but for those who have hope of an emerging independent streak among moderates on both the right and the left, is it possible that enough people could become independents, could you know declare themselves independent, that it would actually change how the conversations have to take place in Congress? I think you would need, and this has happened historically with, say, Teddy Roosevelt and the Bull Moose Party, Ross Perot in 1992, is you you would need a unifying national figure to run a serious, even if unsuccessful, campaign or have maybe enough senators. Maybe if there were enough different senators that that could caucus together, that could happen. Well, how many would that be? Let's just just say – let's let's hypothesize for a moment. Uh, like it would be uh, uh, Kristen Cinema and Joe Manchin and a couple of people from the 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 GOP would it would it take more than a handful to make a difference maybe not given how 50-50 the country is because they'd be mm-hmm. able to set the stage but here's what i think would be the broader thing it would not be something historically this has happened that would create a stable third party that lasted it would be something where the two parties, it would finally wake up the two parties to where they've been ignoring voters or where mm-hmm. they've been running to extreme or what they've been uh, otherwise doing wrong and forcing them to reform themselves in a way that brings those voters back into the fold. That's what happened with Ross Perot's voters, too. They were brought back into the folds of the various parties through those two parties, modifying where they had been vis-a-vis the voters in the past. That's typically the way it is because our and, and the underlying reason is constitutional. As long as our our presidential race is always going to set the table for lower races, mm-hmm. even down to state legislatures, the Constitution requires you to not just get um, the most electoral votes, 
but an actual clear majority of the whole, 270 out of 538. As long as you have that clear majority, not just a plurality, uh, there's always going to be, and it's going to reciprocate down the system, a privileging of a two-party system because you have to get to 50% plus one of the Electoral College. And so uh, I think that reform movements and, and, and independence are important to the system, but they're important as sort of uh, canaries in the coal mine to force the parties, the two major parties, whatever they are, to be better versions of what they've been in the past. Yeah, it's not to say that um, those who are dissatisfied with their particular party are ever going to fully find, like, real fellowship um, with folks from the other side of the aisle. But if, if at the current point in time, the um, the enemy of my enemy, and if my enemy is gross dysfunction um, of political parties— um, if that's my enemy, then the enemy of my enemy is my friend, at least for a period of time. <laughs> like, right? yep. So well, that's what I and, hear and, you saying. And politics is making common cause where possible while not compromising what compromising on particular questions without compromising your fundamental principles. And so mm-hmm. being understanding what you're willing to affiliate with others about and what is the most prudent thing to do to advance what you think is the common good and for Christians, the glory of God. Uh, Those are real and tough questions. And again, in a fallen world, coming back to that, questions that aren't always going to be easy or simple. But yeah, I, I think that is the question. And part of what you're saying is what does the country need the most now? And that may be part of what you prioritize today, that if you get over that hump, you may then be able to address other priorities in the future. So one thing that Christians always need to be is, as Jesus said, wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Uh, the wisdom of the serpent needs to be something that we taken into account as well in order to uh, achieve what of the kingdom of heaven we can here on earth until uh, Christ does so finally and fully uh, at the second advent. Yeah, definitely worth watching her committee assignments. She's currently serving on four committees, but um, definitely worth watching that as uh, as Democrats um, make a determination of how to respond. Dr. Adam Carrington, thank you so much as always for joining us. You can find Adam on Twitter, where he tweets at Carrington AM. Hey, Merry Christmas and uh, and Happy New Year. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to you all as well. Thank you. Absolutely. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. This is Faith Radio. Hallelujah. What gets you up in the morning with a hallelujah, with a shout of good news, of great joy for all people? Christ has come. Like we stand on this side of not only the incarnation, but the life of Christ, his uh, sacrificial atoning death on the cross and his resurrection, his ascension into heaven and the promise that he's coming again. Friends, I hope you woke up this morning with a hallelujah. Um, uh, the good news of great joy for all people has come. And yes, he is coming again. Are we prepared to share that good news today with someone else? What does it look like to go be shiny today, to shine as lights in the midst of this, frankly, perverse generation? Yeah, let's walk it out there in love. We got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. 
Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.